Hello everyone and welcome to this bonus episode of the Film Score Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be going through the, quote, best film scores of 2020. I said in quotes because really, all of these lists are arbitrary, subjective, and really more accurately be described as the creator's favorite film scores. Nonetheless, I've still put together the list, although I haven't put them in any particular order. Frankly, I find it a little difficult to describe with certainty and decide with certainty whether something should be 7th, 4th, 2nd, whatever. And I think it also is a little demeaning to the music itself, boiling it down to a number. Frankly, this took me quite a while to settle on this list. And what I did is I started with about 550 or so scores I'd listened to in 2020 and began whittling it down until I had 75 and then went from there. Problem being, there is probably about half of this list that any given day could change with another 20 scores. But once I got to 10, I left it at that, and I left it at these 10. There's a good chance that some of your favorites from 2020 won't be on here. Part of that, of course, is the subjective nature of making any sort of list. Unless there's quite a good chance that your favorites were among my favorites as well, but maybe they weren't in the top 10, maybe they were number 11 or number 20 or number 43. So feel free to let me know if there's ones that you particularly enjoyed that I didn't include. And one of the other challenges, of course, is just the sheer amount of music that's out there. Any given year, I listen to five, 700, but there are a ton that I don't even hear and I don't even hear about, particularly ones from outside of the US and outside of Western Europe. But I know that there are a lot in India and in East Asia that have never come across my plate at all. And so it really adds to the arbitrary nature of a list like this, which is why I would love to hear some of your favorites and some things that you think I may have missed. But with that intro and disclaimer in mind, let's move on to the list itself. The first score is Christopher Willis's score to The Personal History of David Copperfield. His work on Veep was largely unheralded, but his work on 2017's The Death of Stalin really made Christopher Willis, in my eyes, a rising star. The most impressive aspect of that score, I think, to me, was his ability to convincingly replicate Soviet and pre-Soviet era Russian classical music. It was as if he created some long-lost composer from that time. But he went on quite a hiatus for three years and then came back with this absolutely wonderful, classically-based score in the personal history of David Copperfield. What's great about this score, and I know this sounds cliché, but it isn't really the type of score that's made anymore. It certainly has its roots in much older, far less contemporary classical stylings, which makes it unique in its own right, but it also crafts and creates this believable, lived-in, fun fantasy world. And I'm not talking about fantasy like Lord of the Rings, but almost an alternate historical reality. And it's rich, and it has a great diversity in tone from fury to calm, and it's deep and textured, and, and I can just listen to it over and over. There's so many great striking cues. I will say my one complaint is with Willis himself. He has a handful of great scores, but he needs more. I really hope that he becomes more prolific because I will genuinely listen to everything that he makes. It's so good. The next score on this list is The Call of the Wild by John Powell. This is a score that I wrote about back in February or March of 2020, and I enjoyed it at the time, but it didn't really wow me. It might be apparent in my writing, which was 
really quite brief, and that's partially because I didn't have a lot to say about it. But then I listened to it again nine months later, and it really floored me. And I listened to it again and again over the ensuing couple months, and every time it grew on me more and more, and I found more to enjoy, and some of the complexities and the subtle nuances started making themselves more and more apparent. I mean, on its own, it is a really good, lively adventure score, which course makes complete sense given the genre and tone and content of the film, but it's also really rich and complex thematically. There are a number of themes that evolve as the score runs, and it really earns its longer runtime because those themes, of course, need that time to organically progress. I'll admit, I've been someone who hasn't been the biggest fan of Powell's work. I quite like it, but not to the extent that a lot of other film music fans or writers like his music. Frankly, that needs to change, because this is such a good score, and especially with the recent extended edition of his work on Solo, that's also a great score. And I really need to go back and listen to the rest of his music, because he's truly one of the modern greats for that classic leitmotif style of scoring. The next score is Bad Education by Michael Abels. Admittedly, this might be a 2019 score. I think the film released in late 2019, but the score itself didn't come out until early 2020. But I've seen so few people talk about it over the last year and change that I don't really mind bending or breaking these rules. After all, they're my rules and it's my list. I've been a fan of Michael Abel since he first released Get Out, and Us was also a very good follow-up. They both have some really, really strong cues, particularly in Us. I just love his classical ballet reinterpretation of the rap classic I Got Five on It by Lunas. One of the issues that I found, at least, with both scores is they seem to struggle with some of the more incidental moments of the music. While these, of course, work really well functionally in supporting the film, they slow down the listening experience a little bit. And that's where his work in Bad Education really shines, because it's a much shorter score, so it never has these moments where things slow down a little bit due to the incidental or kind of wallpapering that can sometimes happen. And it's also where I think Abel's most heavily, or at least most obviously, pulls from his classical background. You have this mixture of elegant strings and somber, almost elegaic symphonic and choral passages. There's also a minimalism and experimentalism. What's wild, though, is he's able to compile all this really naturally into a very short runtime. There's a lot going on, and yet he crams it all in, but it doesn't feel crammed. It also, particularly with the shorter runtime, lets you listen to it over and over, and experience new things and find new things. Now, Abels hasn't been composing for film for very long, but it's just such a strong trio of scores that he's jumped out the gate with that I can't wait to hear what else he comes up with.
The next score is Calm With Horses by Blank Mass, or as I think it's known in the US, Shadow of Violence or Under the Shadow of Violence, something like that. I really dislike the American name and have no idea why it had to be changed, so I'll just use Calm With Horses. This is one of the very unorthodox and experimental composer choices, which I love, because Blank Mass, as far as I know, hasn't composed for film before. His multiple studio albums, which are really excellent, noisy, experimental electronic pieces, and I highly recommend them. Although, of course, they're not going to be for everybody, or frankly, for most people. But to an extent, he brings this background into the score for Calm With Horses. But he leaves aside some of the crazier elements, the really loud, grating moments, because they end up distracting in film music. The other reason is because of the purpose of the score. So the film itself is kind of a lower-scale crime film, but also a family and interpersonal drama. So it's very much based on interpersonal struggles and conflicts and connections, while also having violent outbursts. So because of this, his score really focuses on the personal nature of the film, the characters, and their interiority. So it's quite often emotionally and mentally draining. I've seen some complaints that it's too simplistic or too simple, and I really disagree with this. Maybe it's minimal and noisier and droning, which is something that some film music fans don't like, and it creates a sort of monolithic, constant conflict. Sometimes it pulls back, sometimes it bursts out again, but it's always there. I love the experimental nature of the music, and of film music in general, and how fascinating and different it can be. And this, I think, is one of the great modern examples. On the almost opposite end of things is Ammonite by Dustin O'Halloran and Hauschka. These two have been a relatively prolific composing duo in recent years, most notably doing The Old Guard on Netflix, and Lion, for which they were nominated for an Academy Award. Ammonite's much closer to Lion in the fact that it's really based around one solid, strong, recurring theme. It's one that repeats and evolves as the score goes. The theme here is quite gentle piano melody. It's really delicate and heartfelt, and it sweeps the listener into the film's romance and intimacy and honesty, and it lets you forget for a moment that there's anything other than the promise of love. It's another score that has quite a short runtime, and I think it's really useful here because the score itself is so based around a single recurring theme. If it were longer and used the theme more, the theme would become tired out and be overplayed, be sick of it by the end. But here with the shorter runtime, you hear it a few times and it always stays fresh and inviting. And it's such a lovely theme too, and it would be a shame for it to be tired out. Now the score has one of my favorite cues of the year, which is the first track called Fossils, which introduces this theme. And I really recommend listening to it because it, it encapsulates the lush, heartfelt, romantic feel that's throughout the score. Moving back to the experimental side of things is Shirley by Tamar Kali. I wrote about the score a few times in 2020, actually, in one of my roundups, and I, I did a review on it as well. A lot of it is quite minimalistic, 
creating this uncertain atmosphere that's contained in what could almost be a normal family and interpersonal conflict, but in which there are hints of the supernatural and unknown, of these journeys into these strange, ominous, and foreshadowing dream sequences where you get hints of things but you don't know. You don't know what's going to come. And Tamarkali's score really sets up that mystery. But the greatest part of it is her use of competing and joining female vocalizations that represent the journeys and the conflicts between the film's three main female characters. It not only parallels the characters as they move throughout the film, but it embodies them and gives them a life of their own, the music. Heather Christian in late 2020 did something somewhat similar in The Craft Legacy. It's not a copy or anything, but it's just a, a similar style and technique that's also done really well. It was another very good score that, for whatever reason, came and went almost unnoticed. I highly, highly recommend giving Heather Christian's score a listen as well. Another minimalist experimental score is Jim Williams' work on Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Cronenberg, of course, the son of the great David Cronenberg, so you know that it's a film that's going to have interesting experimentations and uh, visceralness and gore and strangeness, and it has all of that. The older Cronenberg had a very long and fruitful partnership with the great Howard Shore. I hope that Brandon Cronenberg and Jim Williams do the same. Jim Williams has some great scores of his own outside of Possessor, including one of my favorites, which is A Field in England, as well as the stranger horror film Raw. Possessor, however, sees Williams take a very minimalistic role. He gives the film a lot of space. The film is very, in some ways at least, visually based and focused, and so the lack of a score, or the very kind of subdued nature of the score, gives those images a lot of room. But he also creates two competing feelings. One of them is like a, a detachment from life, like the sound of static, like a cable not being fully plugged in. And it leaves you with a choice of either push the cable in further and become fully plugged in with life, or to pull it out, eschew everything, and clean your hands from this world. The other is a feeling of a, of a catharsis and an absolute disconnection, and it serves as a stark contrast to some of the imagery we see on screen. For instance, it comes on in this very brutal scene of someone being almost hacked to pieces. But we don't have a visceral reaction. Instead, the score makes us as if we're a distant observer, knowing that this brutality is happening, but not really caring. And it also comes in in some scenes of just lavish luxury and wealth. But we're not awed by what we see. We're, again, an independent, apathetic observer who looks at all of this as what should be awing and makes us think, does this even matter? I really hope that they continue working together because I think it was a good combination. And with William's other work, we've seen how much he's able to accomplish. The next score, and one that I was a little uncertain about including, is David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet by Stephen Price. One of the reasons I was so uncertain about it is because of how much dialogue finds its way into the score. The release itself is about 70 minutes, and much of it and much of it is taken from dialogue of David Attenborough that appears throughout. So it creates this 
dual or maybe even triple nature of the score, where it becomes a piece for Attenborough's voice and how his views and experiences change as his life goes on from you know, a young man to who he is today and all of his experiences in between. And it also is a, a companion piece for the awe and majesty of the natural world that we live in and have to protect. From great rainforests and mountains and oceans and valleys, it's a beautiful, beautiful world. But it's also one that's in danger. And this is where that third nature of the score comes in. Because it creates a very clear, distinct call to action. It's maybe the first time I've heard in a piece of film music a score with a very clear, direct message. And Attenborough's dialogue makes it even clearer. It's difficult to listen to this score and come away with anything other than an immense respect and appreciation for the planet and a, a desire to act. There is a hopefulness by the end where Attenborough confesses that he sees hope and he sees a way to turn things around, but it requires all of us to work together. So I hope that you listen to this and you come to that same realization. Continuing on this somber note is Minari by Emil Mosseri. This was quite a late edition because although the film technically released in 2020, hit a lot of the awards circuits and various smaller screenings, the score itself didn't release until February 2021. But it's such a good score that I knew I had to include it. What's also impressive is that Mosseri already had a score from 2020 that I had in consideration, which was Kajillionaire. Now, obviously, it hasn't made the final list, but it's really good as well. But Minari was too good to ignore, so I had to include it. What's great about it is it's really hypnotic, particularly the combination of repetitive piano and a chorus of voices that's almost like an ethereal projection, and it creates a lot of emotion. It's somehow both comforting and tragic, and it makes you want to relax and melt into the world, but to also cry. And I really don't know how he does it. Between this and particularly Mosseri's work on The Last Black Man in San Francisco, I think, and I know, that he's one of the great modern young film composers. And if he keeps this up, even just having one or two scores a year, I think he's capable of anything. And while he's known among more film-focused than film-music circles, he hasn't yet had the chance to really break out into the broader consciousness. And I think he will. Finishing up on a more positive note is Wonder Woman 1984 by Hans Zimmer. There have been a lot of complaints about his style recently, and that he's more interested in this move to drone and textures and soundscapes rather than you know, real melody and thematic work. But what's funny is, this is a film set in the 80s, and so rather than release a score that is so obviously 80s drenched as we've heard so much recently, both in film music and in the modern 80s resurgence, he's instead moved back to his style reminiscent of the 80s and 90s. It's really, really thematic, and it's really a lot of fun, and he's time-traveled back. And it's so much more thematic and melodic than anything that he's done in quite a few years. And he creates this sense of adventure and energy, and I think most importantly, of triumph. He manages to balance seriousness in a state of lightheartedness. It shows that there's a lot of fun here and a heart, and it's something that you can just have a great time in. I think it's one of the best superhero scores in years, 
and potentially the best. I think it's really important amidst the other DC scores as well, which have tended to skew darker and grittier than their Marvel counterparts. They've needed a bit of a move away from that. Not entirely, but at least to have a little bit more of a genre variance. I know that was the case in Shazam. I think it was Benjamin Walfish who did that, and his score kind of came and went. But Wonder Woman 1984, Zimmer's score is here to stay, and so it's a really good entry. And it also raises a lot of curiosity as to what he's going to do in forthcoming films like Dune and the new Bond, No Time to Die. Zimmer's always been capable of this kind of variance, but I think people have forgotten it, or for newer film music fans, haven't necessarily appreciated this. They've heard what he's done in the last 15 years and assumed that that's him. It isn't. One of the also really interesting things is that Shortly after releasing Wonder Woman 1984, Zimmer released a companion album that is a mixture of, I believe, demos and sketches for some of the other ideas and themes and cues that Zimmer and his team came up with but ended up not using for the film. It's similar to what he did with Dark Phoenix, where he subsequently released Experiments from Dark Phoenix, showing a bit of the behind-the-scenes, but also how many ideas and how many experimentations are required before landing on something finally and creating this final piece. I know that it's not possible or feasible for most composers to do this, but I find it really interesting and I hope that more composers, if not releasing an entire score, consider releasing even unused cues or ideas. Now, like I said, I'm sure you have a lot of favorites that didn't make it on here, but chances are I listen to them and I like them too. But still, feel free to reach out and let me know what you liked, because there's such a large world of film music that it's hard to listen to everything, and frankly, it's hard to find everything. So the more that I get to find out about and hear, the happier that I am, and I try to share it all and hope that more people can listen to it as well. And frankly, I think it's a good problem to have. I would much rather have too much good music to listen to than too little. Some people complain that film music has slowly deteriorated in quality, but I think that's so wrong. Frankly, there are more talented people working in it now, and more array of styles and genres than ever before, that no matter what you like, you'll be able to find something that you resonate with. The problem, of course, is wading through everything and really finding it. Now, I hope you enjoyed this, and tune in next week where I'll be back to the regular scheduling and regular programming of another composer interview. And I have a few more scheduled to come out after this before I take a little break. Now, go listen to a few of the scores I've talked about, and let me know what some of your favorites were as well.